Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, and first off, Happy New Year, everyone. We made the 2023, and that means we're that much closer to the baseball season. And we have some news to talk about in this episode. Finally, this offseason, the Marlins finally made their first big move. Uh, They have agreed to terms with infielder Gene Segura, two-year deal with a team option for the 2025 season. The deal has not yet officially been announced uh, it's still pending his physical and the team will announce it once that physical gets cleared. And once that does happen, Miami does need to make a corresponding move to get Segura onto the 40 man roster. We'll get through all of those logistics in a little bit, but first the deal itself, two years, 6.5 million in 2023, 8.5 million in 2024, and then a team option in 2025 for $10 million or a $2 million buyout. And the way this is going to work for him, his role defensively, barring something happening between now and opening day, the plan is for Segura to play third base. It's not his natural position. He's primarily been a middle infielder his entire career, only has about 25 or so games at third base. And just about all of that was during the 2020 season with the Phillies. But for now, the Marlins want to keep Jazz at second base, Jazz Chisholm Jr. in second base, Miguel Rojas at third. And then they still also have Joey Wendell and John Birdie to be utility-type roles. And a reminder on that front, uh, both Joey Wendell and Miguel Rojas are in the last year of their deals. They are free agents after the 2023 season comes to an end. So with Segura under control beyond that, and then Jazz Chisholm Jr. potentially being able to slide over the shortstop, we could see some configuration changes as well coming down there. And also you have to think about just the fact that Segura being able to play second, short, and third, Wendell being able to play second, short, and third, John Birdie being able to play second, short, and third, in addition to the outfield, Rojas being able to play all the infield spots, Jazz being able to play second and short. This gives the Marlins some flexibility, especially if slash when injuries occur. I mean, you look back to what happened last year. Jazz only played 60 games before being shut down because of the stress fracture in his lower back, in addition to what he was playing with with the torn meniscus. Uh, Both Joey Wendell and Brian Anderson missed the entire month of June last year, which meant the Marlins had to play John Birdie exclusively a third. And then when you also saw other guys going down at times, they'd call guys like you had Joe Dunant who were getting extended reps and then other guys who may have been rushed up and not put the Marlins in the best case scenario. At this point now, their infield depth is actually pretty, pretty good, especially if you're going to have Segura being your everyday guy. That means Wendell and Birdie being your quote-unquote bench guys who can play anywhere. Wendell is a lefty, Birdie is a righty, and you saw the production from both of them when they're healthy. That gives the Marlins some increased depth, some needed depth that they didn't have last year to be able to fortify their team for when they get into some worst-case scenarios type deals. 
So that's where we are defensively with Segura. Offensively, he provides a different type of model for, or different type of profile for this offense. I mean, you have Jazz, Jorge Soler, and Avcel Garcia that you're hoping to bring the power. Uh, and then you have guys like Wendell for contact. You have Cooper, who's a balance between uh, power between power and contact. Uh, Gene Segura, he's mainly a contact hitter. He's hit at least 266 each of his past seven seasons. His last... The five seasons in that span where he's played at least 100 games, his batting average has been at least 280. And he's, again, he's not really a power guy, but he gives you that contact that you need to give some different looks in the lineup. Uh, and you look at some of his stat cast data, 16.3% uh, swing and miss in his career since 2015 when StatCast first began tracking data. That's really, really good when you think about it, considering a league average is 24.7%. He only has a 13.8% strikeout rate in his career and only struck out more than 20% of the time in a single season once. And that was the pandemic short in 2020 season where numbers really were tough to define throughout the league about whether about good years, bad years, what to make of them. And even then it was only 20.7%. And the big area in the lineup where Segura is going to help He's great against lefties, a facet of the game, which the Marlins were very bad at last year. They were last in MLB with a 208 batting average against left-handed pitching and just a 598 OPS against left-handed pitching. Uh, and yes, one player alone isn't going to completely remedy that problem. But when you look at Segura's numbers, his batting average splits are about equal, 285 against righties, 284 against lefties. But when you look at his power numbers, he has a 438 slugging mark against lefties compared to 398. That's a 40 point improvement. A 780 OPS against lefty compared to 724 against righties. 56 point improvement. That's going to help the Marlins, especially when they start figuring out lineups and platoon options and whatnot. This gives them another good option when they're going up against lefty pitching. And when we look at where the Marlins are at right now, uh, just based off of where their roster stands, uh, your catching situation, you have Fortes and Stallings behind the plate. Your infield right now is Gary Cooper, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Miguel Rojas, Gene Segura, and then the combo of Wendell and Birdie. Uh, your outfielders, you got Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, Avisel Garcia, Jorge Soler. The ideal situation is for Soler to DH primarily, and that just makes sense just for the fact that you try to keep him as healthy as possible. If you limit his time in the field, that gives you a better chance of keeping him healthy. And then again, Birdie is also able to work as a fourth slash fifth outfielder along with Soler when Sanchez, De La Cruz, or Garcia need days off. And then you have pro the prospects, J.J. Bleday, Peyton Burdick, who can compete for spots as well. And with that, my summation of the move to this point, it's a good first move if there are more moves to come. And the Marlins really do need more moves to come, especially when you look at the rest of the division. I mean, the Mets have just been stacking up. The Braves have been stacking up. The Phillies have been stacking up. So if this is the first move, this is if this is the first move, the first domino to get the rest of the dominoes to start falling, I applaud the move. If it's the only move, it's a complete head scratcher considering what the Marlins still need to accomplish. And there are significant steps that need to be done in order to improve this roster over the next month and a half before spring training begins uh the primary move i know center field is probably where everyone's looking at and i'm gonna get to that in a minute but the marlins need a second first baseman 
That's just point blank basic roster construction needed. They only have one true first baseman on their 40 man roster right now. And that's Gary Cooper. And as good as Cooper has been when he's healthy, he has, he does have that, that injury history. He's been on the IL at least once every year that he's been with the Marlins and every year he's been in the big leagues and they're going to need somebody to supplement him and somebody to be able to, to break up some of the reps with him at first. And right now in terms of their in-house options on the 40 man roster, the only guys who re- who have any sort of first base experience, uh, Charles LeBlanc got some reps there toward the end of last season, even though he's primarily more of a second and third baseman, uh, Miguel Rojas could obviously slide over there in a pinch, but the Marlins right now are still adamant about him being their shortstop. And if you dig further into the minors, uh, Gerard Encarnacion played some first base in the minors, and I believe he's been getting some reps there in winter ball, but still, but he hasn't played there in the big leagues yet. And their top option in the minor leagues is Troy Johnston, who was great in double-A last year, got a taste of triple-A toward the end, but he still... I feel like need some more seasoning before you call him up and get him up here. So when you look at options available, the Marlins did try to go after Jose Abreu, uh, offered him a deal two year, 40 million. He ended up signing with Houston for three years and 58 and a half. Uh, They could pursue Boston Red Sox first baseman prospect and South Florida native American heritage alum, Tristan Casas. Those are that has reportedly been something the Marlins potentially have tried to pursue, or just the fact that Boston could be a suitor when you look at the fact that they need pitching and ideally controllable pitching. The Marlins are looking for bats, ideally controllable bats. So Tristan Casas, he's the Red Sox number two overall prospect, number 25 prospect in all baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. The Red Sox reportedly have expressed interest in Joey Wendell, according to The Athletic. Again, they're in the market for control, controllable pitching. The Marlins have that in the likes of Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, Jesus Lazardo, Edward Cabrera. Uh, and again, Pablo or Trevor feel like the ones that make the most sense logically. Pablo is the most experienced of the bunch and has probably the highest floor. And then you look at guys like Trevor and Lazardo. obviously lefties are always going to be in, in demand, especially when they're under team control. So we could see what the Marlins might do there. Uh, there are options on the free agent market. Uh, Eric Hosmer would probably be make the most sense in terms of people available on the market, but who knows how much the Marlins are willing to spend at, in order to make another move there. Uh, and then you go to center field, which has been basically the main topic of conversation in terms of Marlins improvements for the last few years now. They still don't have a true center fielder on the roster. Uh, Brian Reynolds, it doesn't look like the Pittsburgh's trying to move him unless they are oversold, which we'll see what the Marlins would be willing to offer on that front. Uh, two other options that could make sense. I've mentioned Baltimore several times over this offseason with Cedric Mullins or one of their top prospects. Or you can look at San Diego, where Trent Grisham is an option. He's had, he had a down year. He hit under the Mendoza line last year. But he is still about 230, 235 here. It really depends on for center field if the Marlins are focusing on the offense or the defense, which side they take, they are prioritizing more. And again, when you look at this ballpark, at Lone Park, it's a spacious, spacious ballpark. So it's going to be interesting to see just how the Marlins decide to 
which direction the Marlins lean in terms of what they prefer offense or defense and what that sliding scale looks like in terms of, okay, if a guy has X amount of offense, he needs Y amount of defense or vice versa to see exactly what they try to do. And then lastly, the bullpen, it's always going to be some area of the upgrade. They made a few with JT Charcois and Nick Enright via the rule five draft. And then the importing of guys from the 40 onto the 40 man roster, a few of the prospects that is a priority, but obviously it is on the lower tier priorities compared to what they have in terms of other needs, specifically with the offense. And there's time to see what can happen. Spring training is about a month and a half away. Uh, The team's holding its fan fest on February 11th and that, Pitchers and catchers should be reporting to Jupiter the week after that. And then you have the six weeks there of spring, which includes the World Baseball Classic. Uh, so it's going to be a very busy run up to the season. We'll see just how busy this month before all of that is and to see exactly how the Marlins plan to proceed before they get up to Jupiter for spring training. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites, the first one of 2023. Obviously, there will be many more to come. How much we do over the month of January will really be predicated on how much news there is between now and spring training starting. But ideally, there will be at least one every other week. So at least two more this month before we pick things up full steam ahead once we roll into February. So should be a busy time. How How much everything actually pans out will remain to be seen. But for now, thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you again. Thanks so much.